Diane Pellrine is Class of 1949 Curator of the Arts of Africa, the South Pacific, and the Americas. Diane, I'd like to ask you to share with us an object from your one of your departments that's featured in the book and tell us something about it. I'd be happy to. Uh, the piece I'd like to talk to you about is one from the South Pacific. It's from the island of New Guinea. And I would say it's one of the most expressive, one of the most powerful figures, not only in the third floor gallery at the Art Museum, but I would say really it's one of the most powerful figures from this part of the world in, in any museum that you'll see anywhere. First, this figure is larger than life size. It's nearly seven feet tall, so it looks very imposing when you see it even from a distance. It, um, it, it's very interesting in form because while the head is very three-dimensional, the body gives you the impression at first of being plank-like, very, very flat in nature. And in, indeed it is. You can look at it from a profile view, and it's only probably three or four inches thick at the chest, the part of the body that we usually think of as being the most massive. But as you go down, then you find that the the lower part of the torso becomes a cylinder, and then that's continued down into the legs. The arms are long. They reach down to the knees, and the legs themselves are really, by comparison, kind of stubby. They're probably a third the size of the whole figure. So you've got this figure with very strange proportions, kind of strange form, very flat chest, then cylindrical torso. But that flat chest has been through incised and and relief carved decoration, has been beautifully inscribed. And what you're seeing when you look at the figure is how a very important man in New Guinea would have been dressed. Um, first, if you look at the lower torso, you can see that there's a carved loincloth that he's wearing, and it's a decorated loincloth. Ordinary people would have very plain ones. This is this has been decorated. So he's, he's somebody important. Perhaps most interesting is this area on the chest that I referred to earlier, where the the figure is wearing a carved net bag or a depiction of a net bag. These net bags were worn by both men and women all over New Guinea. Um, they were used kind of like we would use pockets, so they could carry all kinds of personal things. But in addition, sometimes they were used to carry amulets. They might carry relics of important ancestors, for example, as a kind of talisman, as a way of ensuring good luck. If you look closely, you can see some little round ornaments that are also so decorating his chest and the, the bag on it. And those are a reference to shell or tusk ornaments that, again, were associated with wealth, associated with prestige in this part of New Guinea. If you look on his arms, he's wearing more shell ornaments there, and the lower parts of his legs also have those same shell decorations. All of this, I think, makes for a beautiful figure, which is completely red. It's been covered with a powdery red pigment. And throughout... New Guinea, and indeed many other parts of the world, red is a color associated with power. It's associated with aggressiveness and assertiveness. It's particularly in New Guinea associated with male power. So we've got, we've got an imposing kind of figure, but if you look at the head, that's the thing that really makes it, I think, an outstanding work of art. The top of the head, the figure's wearing a little basketry cap. It looks kind of like an elongated pillbox hat. It's a, a carved depiction of one that would have been made from basketry. But look below the hat. Look at the head itself. While you have a very flat chest, you've got a head that is looming over that chest, a head that is 
very, very three-dimensional, a head that looks in many ways very skull-like. This figure is one that would have commemorated an important ancestor. Ancestors are, of course, dead. And all along the Sepik, there has been a tradition for many, many years of preserving the heads of deceased ancestors, preserving them as a way of honoring the ancestors, um, as well as kind of accruing the powerful spirits associated with that anse- those ancestors to the people who live in the vicinity. So you've got a head that is skull-like, reminding you very viscerally that this is an ancestor that's being commemorated. But there's more to it than that. If you look at the face, you can barely see the eyes. The area where the eye sockets would be, would be looks blank. Again, this reference to the skull. But right below that, the face tapers dramatically. So the chin is almost like a point. This, I think, gives the face an almost insect or bird-like quality to it. And it's probably a reference to the fact that for many lineages and clans in this part of New Guinea, traditionally, birds were frequently associated with the founding of the group. So we find this combination of human and animal features in this head, you have a face that is clearly reminding you of the ancestors that are being commemorated, and you put it all together, and I think you have one of the most powerful and expressive figures you're going to see anywhere. The Sepik River figure had quite an adventure getting from New Guinea to the IU Art Museum. This is a figure that has a very interesting history. We know that it was collected in 1908. It was collected by a Captain Vogt who was a ship captain. He worked for a German uh, company that did trading along the New Guinea coast. And like many other people who did similar jobs in the South Pacific, he also collected artifacts. And he would get a, a slew of them together, and then he would sell them. Now, he was German. Most of the time, he sold his objects to German museums or German collectors. But in 1908, a man named George Dorsey, who was curator of anthropology at the Field Museum in Chicago, came on a collecting expedition to New Guinea. And he met up with Captain Vogt, and the two of them decided to go on an expedition up the Sepik River. And it was at that time that Captain Vogt collected many, many objects, including this one. So um, George Dorsey went back to Chicago, and he was able to convince the museum director to buy about a 1,000 objects that had been collected at the same time when, when Dorsey was in, in New Guinea. So we'll fast forward to 1959, and at that time, uh, a, very, a man who was becoming a very prominent collector of African, South Pacific, and pre-Columbian art named Raymond Wilgus developed various relationships with people at the Field Museum. The curators at the Field Museum knew that Mr. Wilgus had a very rare type of shield from the Solomon Islands. And they were really anxious to acquire it from him. They offered to buy it. And he had done a lot of, Mr. Wilgus had done a lot of volunteer work at the Field Museum, and he was very familiar with their collections. And he told them, I won't sell you the shield, but I'll trade you for it. There's one object and one object alone that I'll trade you for it. And it, and it was this figure that he wanted he wanted to trade. So um, the way Mr. Wilgus tells the story, then that day he 
took this figure that he refers to as Big Red, put it in his convertible, and drove it home to his apartment in Chicago. Raymond and Laura Wilgus in the 1960s became good friends of the Indiana University Art Museum, and ultimately they've decided to commit their entire collection to the museum. And this figure then will be one that will eventually be part of our permanent collection. It's on right now at extended loan as a promised gift. Big Red now lives in the museum's third-floor gallery, which, Diane admits, is one of the museum's best-kept secrets. We have internationally recognized collections there, but I think an awful lot of people don't don't know that about the collections here. We have visitors who come from other parts of the United States, who come from abroad, and even they're sometimes surprised that here in the Midwest there are collections that are let's face it, kind of esoteric, maybe a little bit exotic, even to most people. How should a museum goer without specific background in this work approach something that seems at first so exotic? I would say don't be intimidated by the fact that you don't know how an object was used or the context in which it might have appeared. Or maybe you're not even sure about where in the world the country that the label says it's from is located. Look at the object itself. These are remarkable pieces because they convey, for the most part, a lot of emotion. And I don't think you need to understand how the object was used to be able to see that, that emotion, that expressiveness. For WFIU's Artworks, I'm Yael Cassander.